Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, December the 4th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's all 22 Wednesday. I'll tell you about the offensive linemen that have improved, Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki's big days. We'll get to the defense, and we'll do crossover Wednesday with Locked On Jets. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. And you guys can, of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the entire Locked On Network. We have a busy show today and I am fighting to get through this one. I do apologize for the low energy, but we'll go ahead and do it anyways. That's another Miami Dolphins. Somebody asked me on Twitter to address the Joe Rose show from Tuesday where he grilled Omar Kelly for the take that Brian Flores and this coaching staff are one of the worst in the National Football League, despite every other single human being that breathes oxygen on this planet would disagree. And I don't think I need to make some big charade about that, but I will address the reason why I pretty much ignore that type of noise outside of my highly passive-aggressive subtweets, which I do simply just to correct information since it's so consistently incorrect information. But here's my general thought there. What's the point of arguing with someone that's willfully ignorant like that? I was telling one of my longtime listeners of the show and now close friend how I had to fake it until I made it in this industry in that when I first got into film study and breaking down tape and analytics and all the analysis stuff that I do, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had to learn on the fly. The best part about learning what you're seeing though, and it's hard, don't get it twisted, I'd say I'm over 10,000 hours of film watched into this thing. The best thing is that once you know what you're talking about, it makes it a lot easier to identify those that don't know what they're talking about. So that's where I'll leave that, but you should check the segment out for yourself. It's very entertaining. And one last point to that point, Safid Dean of the South Florida Sun Sentinel, also the paper that Omar writes for, who's one of my best buddies, a seriously great, great guy who has done a lot for me. He had a follow-up tweet that basically said, we can't begin to judge Flores until next season. And I think that's a bunch of, well, that's just a bunch of malarkey to quote that 95-year-old president candidate. I don't know who it is. I don't follow politics. There are always opportunities to evaluate and the measurable growth in areas that I specifically laid out for some of these guys, like Gasicki getting better at contact balance and functional strength, or Devontae Parker dedicating himself in the weight room and at the kitchen table. We've seen those things occur on Brian Flores' watch, and the simple truth is, if you can't see it, then you don't know what you're looking for. Speaking of Parker and Gasecki, let's go ahead now and dive into the All-22. We start on the offensive side with the playmakers, and Devontae Parker in this game, I was expecting to turn the tape on and see him just clowning dudes at the release off the line of scrimmage, but really, he didn't really do that off the line. He actually struggles to create separation consistently in this game, but it just didn't matter because he was so much better at the catch point than the Eagles defensive backs, where I actually thought he didn't look that sudden. He rounded some routes off, but none of that matters when and you have the talent that Parker showed on those plays, and that was some impressive work to watch. 
And we've seen this coming for a while with Parker. I think this might be here to stay. And I also think that Alan Hearns is highly underrated in what he does for the offense and the way that Kenny Stills had done before. Many different routes, but still the same idea because he runs so many clear out routes. Doesn't take the wrong release within the route combination. That can be so vital to freeing up other guys. Like for instance, on a third and two conversion to Mike Gesicki, where he gained like 19 yards and did that karate kick to the defensive back in the secondary. That play was a product of Hearns opening up the slot, crossing face, and then basically blocking out both he and Gasicki's man with his route. And I love that selfless mentality, especially when he's so good at throttling down in soft spots in the zone and being a reliable target for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick has a lot of trust in Alan Hearns. Now, as for Gasicki, he has come so far, and that's why I pointed him out every week as a guy that I thought was coming along early on this season. He has so much more of a plan as a route runner this year compared to last season, where he basically just tried to get to the stem as fast as he could. But now he is showcasing the the strength that we talked about, the contact balance. There's a route where he widens the corner, crosses face. They try to press him on that or grab him. He just fights through that contact without getting disrupted in the route. He's helping out chipping into the pattern. He should have had a second touchdown on that play where he widened the corner, but Ryan Fitzpatrick just missed him. He is looking really good out there right now. And what's crazy about this game from a quarterback's perspective was I thought Fitzpatrick had a lot of misses and some really bad ones, especially a deep shot to Durham Smythe. And he still went for 365 yards. And in totality, I'm actually not all that impressed with his all 22 because really he just put guys in a position to make plays down the field and they did to me that's not impressive quarterbacking that's a quarterback relying on his talent which is fine but it's not like an elite performance by any stretch when you do that the running backs got a lot better when Kalen Balaj went down and my goodness is his patience and vision just two things that are awful and you can't not have those as a tailback and the insistence to use him I think is the one big black mark on this coaching staff now Miles Gaskin and Patrick Laird they show patience they set up their blocks, they create yards, and they get upfield, and they know where the right gap is. It was fun to watch both those guys get a chance. I'm excited to see them going forward, and they did it behind an offensive line that continues to get absolutely no push in the running game. There are some times when they get out on the edge, be it a fly sweep, a screen pass, or a toss sweep, where they show some good stuff, but man, Dion Calhoun, Shaq Calhoun, falls off most of his blocks. Daniel Kilgore just isn't athletic enough, and Julian Davenport, I'm going to say this, he's worse than Dallas. Thomas. The two offensive linemen I do want to praise in this one are Jesse Davis and Michael Dieter, but mostly Davis. He is getting better and quicker and getting more depth on his initial kick slide. He's smoother getting into his set. He has a very sturdy anchor, and he knew what the plan was for the pass rushers going up against him. Fought off some long arms, some bull rushes, some speed rushes, and Googe, the offensive line coach, said that he was a grown-ass man performance out there at right tackle, his best of his career, and I agree. He was actually really tremendous, and I think he might be an option next year. I still don't feel great about it, but you have to be cognizant of the fact that if you are going to roll with him, there will be speed rushers that he's going to need help with off that right side. I trust this coaching staff to get that done. And Michael Dieter has some absolutely ghastly reps where he's just off balance. He's getting out over his skis, but his intelligence shows up every single game. He handles double teams as well as anybody on this team, shoulder to shoulder, feet to feet, climbing into the second level. He handles stunts. He finds work when he doesn't have any. I really like watching him grow. I think he has a chance to make it on the offensive line as well. Other players, Durham Smythe, he just is not doing it for me. And Albert Wilson, he looks to be getting closer to being back. Maybe not fully healthy, but I could be. he could be an interesting guy to monitor the next month of the season, the final month. Can he be the 
slot guy in between or in behind, I should say, Alan Hearns, and the wide receiver core is just done right there with Parker, Hearns, Wilson, and Preston Williams coming back. Now, $8 million next year is too much for Albert Wilson. I agree with that, but at least you don't have any cash commitments beyond that, and you won't be able to say that if you sign a free agent wide receiver because you have to give two, three, four-year deals and commit cash in the future. Maybe Wilson rides one last time in Miami, but also you could replace him for very cheap in the draft because this draft class at receiver is damn good. And you know what else is damn good? Getting back to being that 21-year-old stallion when it comes to the bedroom, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Listen up, guys. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach or when you have the flu. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. So unlike a Bill Belichick press conference, it wipes out all the awkwardness. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Ron Rivera is officially out in Carolina, and I know there are several of you, probably most of you, that think the idea of Cam Newton in Miami is a hideous thought and one that you do not want to entertain, but I think this does open the possibility that Cam Newton could be on the outs in Carolina, and the good part about that is whether or not you want Cam Newton or not is that it puts one more quarterback on the market in an offseason where the Dolphins are going to have competition now in that quarterback market, whether it's the top of the draft, free agency, trades, whatever it might be, the Dolphins are going to be in the quarterback market, and now Cam Newton probably will be part of that. You guys know I believe that he could be a big-time factor here, a big-time red zone, third down, running game, shot in the arm for this offense. I just believe that they could des- they could design an offense and a scheme and a team, really, a clock control, ground and pound style of offense that just wears the defense down in the South Florida heat and a defense around Brian Flores that can get stops, can prevent red zone scores and really make you a ground game and defensive oriented team around a quarterback that does give you a shot in the arm in that running game. So that'll be one of the options we have to explore over the next several months as we get closer and closer to draft season, the off season. We all cannot wait, but we still have Five more games to talk about, four more games on the schedule, and the last part of that fifth game, the Eagles game. And before we do get into the defensive All-22 from the Philly game, a couple of quick news bites that came across the wire as we're doing the podcast. Kalen Balaj has been sent to the injured reserve. His season will end at 1.82 yards per carry, and he finishes with the worst all-time average, that 1.82 yards per carry in the Super Bowl era with someone that had at least 70 carries. So Kalen Balaj, historic in his place, will be receiver Trevor Davis. And you guys remember running back Zach Zenner? He is now signed to the roster to make room for both of them. The Dolphins also waived Montre Hardage. I'm sure he'll be back to the practice squad. Let's talk about the All-22. We'll get to those moves on tomorrow's podcast. Let's go back now to the All-22. And Devon Godshaw is where we start today up front because this guy said that he's always been a confident player on Twitter, but now he believes that he's on another level. And I tend to agree with him because he's so, so stout 
at not just holding the point on double teams, but beating them and getting into the backfield. I'd like to see him do it just a little bit more consistently, but he really gave that Philly left guard fits all game long and beat up some doubles. Christian Wilkins lacks consistency as well, more so than Godshaw, but man, when he gets it right, he is unblockable. I think we're going to see that come out of him more next season when he's had a full healthy offseason without having to go through the combine, the draft process, rookie mini camps, all that stuff. I think Wilkins is going to have a big year in 2020. Now up front also, Avery Moss, I thought had a really rough game and I don't think that Taco Charlton really gives you all that much. He did a great job getting the ball out on that sack of Carson Wentz, the strip sack, but both of Miami sacks were just good coverage on the back end where Carson Wentz held the football too long and the other sack belonged to Sam McGuavin who I thought had his best game of the entire season, his entire professional career career but I did think that his best play was that three-yard loss on the screen pass he goes to identify the crossing route on the backside and he just so happens to see a lineman in his face so he immediately gets his head back around to locate Miles Sanders the running back and shuts that play down for a TFL also at linebacker Raekwon McMillan had some moments filling the A gaps and B gaps and nobody beats a block like Raekwon McMillan does on this team I also thought he showed a propensity to find the spots in his zone spot drops knowing exactly where he has to get against the route concepts but in total I didn't think he had a good game in fact I don't think he's been good since he came back from that injury a couple weeks ago and neither has his former college teammate Jerome Baker since that injury in Indianapolis he looks confused a lot like he's playing slow now when it's all about speed and athleticism and a quick trigger he gets there and makes the play but when he has to think or take on blocks it's not good and those are the two things you really have to do the most in this defense so we'll see where they go going forward at the linebacker position with Jerome Baker one guy that is a fit long term is Vince Beagle as he's been the pretty much the same player every single week so far this season since he got here he really dents and resets the edge very very well but he needs to develop a counter rush move he might just be too small to get off the initial punch of those big left tackles good left tackles like Jason Peters in Philadelphia they have a lot of trust on the back end in cornerback Nick Needham or maybe he's just the best option to do it but there was a situation a third and long play where they bracket everybody on the field except for Zach Ertz on Eric Rowe and Nick Needham on J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and he does well to get himself in position to get behind the route and then undercut it and get a pass breakup to get the defense off the field on that third down. He had some moments. He had some not-so-good moments, but still, Nick Needham playing very well, I think, since he got into the starting lineup. And then Eric Rowe is the last guy here on my notes. He actually got beat for what should have been a Zach Ertz touchdown, but Zach just dropped it, and it's not the one that was in the end zone where Rowe broke it up by getting his hands on the football, but actually, it was the exact same look on Mike Gesicki's touchdown, or missed touchdown, I should say, from Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he widened out and Ertz crosses the face of Eric Rowe and then just drops the ball but in total Rowe was awesome in his run fits he plays that box safety position that fills in the gaps inside the outside linebacker in that C gap it's a lot like Patrick Chung and that's definitely what they have in mind for him going forward I don't have any detailed notes on guys like Ryan Lewis Ken Webster Jamal Wiltz and Adrian Colbert I don't think any of them made plays that really stood out but I do have a guest waiting to jump on the show and with that we'll move on from Philly and get into the stinking Jets. And we welcome now to the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the host of Locked On Jets. He is John Butchko. You guys know him from previous podcasts. John, what's up, my friend? Oh, not much. How are you doing, Travis? I've, I've been a lot better. There's a, lo- a low energy in the podcast today. That's kind of my go-to uh, staples is high energy, and I, I don't have it today. So um, I guess I could use some of Adam Gaze's smelling salts, and we'll just go ahead and jump in right there. And I want to get your thoughts. I know that most Jets fans, I, I follow Manish Meta on Twitter. I don't know why, but I do it. Um, but I know that a lot of Jets fans are kind of 
against the Adam Gase idea coming back next year, but they did proclaim that he will be back. Then he rips off three wins in a row and then loses to the Bengals in such Adam Gase fashion. So I want to ask you this question, John. Are Jets fans still uh, bamboozled by the idea of keeping Gase for another season, or is there like a scenario where it would be a good thing for you? Well, you know, Travis, uh, with any fan base, their opinions are going to vary. But I, I think it's safe to say that the overwhelming majority of Jets fans were very upset to hear the owner, Christopher Johnson, a few weeks ago declare that Adam Gase is coming back for 2020 no matter what. Um, it's it's amazing to me that a uh, head coach who got off to such a slow start have such job security. And the owner pretty much tell us that no matter what happens, there will be no consequences for for. No matter what happens, uh, you know, no matter how negative things get, there will be no consequences for this coach. And let me tell you something else: is this came out, the owner announced this to the media after the Jets defeated the Giants, and you had to listen very closely to what he said there because it was very easy to miss this. A lot of people are portraying this as the owner overreacting to a win against the Giants, but what he actually said was, "I'm announcing this now, but I told everybody last week." And at that point, that was after the Jets had lost to the Dolphins. Yeah. So essentially, Chris Johnson's response to losing to the Miami Dolphins, you know, giving the Dolphins their first win of the season was Adam Gase has total job security. Um, You know, look, I'm not one who generally is in favor of firing a coach in his first year. I I honestly think in many cases, NFL teams are way too quick to assign blame to a coach uh, and not willing to stick with things long enough. But I mean, I don't know how you can look at this situation with the Jets, what's happened with this team this year, and say that this, no matter what happens, Adam Gay should come back. Because there's a lot of evidence that suggests that this is not a productive situation with this team right now. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of 2015, or 14, I think it was, when Joe Philbin took the Dolphins in a wild game against the Minnesota Vikings. Both teams eliminated from playoff contention, but he got the W, and he announced that Joe Philbin would come back. And we were like, for what purpose? And he was gone four games late, four games into 2015. And I just wonder if that's going to be what happens here with the Jets. But he did get a little bit, you know, validated by the three-game winning streak of the Jets. And I want to ask you, how did that happen? How did the Jets turn into a team that couldn't do anything through the first eight games of the season to a team that all of a sudden is ripping off three wins? Was it the offensive line that got better? Because I know that that was a big issue. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it's going to sound like I'm taking away from what the Jets accomplished, winning three games in a row. And I know there are no easy games in the NFL. And I know, you know, look, the Jets lost to Miami. They lost to Cincinnati. Uh, But let's be honest here. I mean, two of those games, one was against the Giants, who right now, I think the Giants are the biggest mess in the the entire league. And another game was against Washington. Now, I know Washington's kind of turned it around since then and put together a couple of wins. But you know, that was uh, Dwayne Haskins really looked lost in that game. The Redskins looked like they had no idea how to cover anybody. There were constant breakdowns in coverage. I mean, a lot of it really had to do with the quality of the opponent they were playing. Now, I give the Jets credit. I think the game against Oakland, the third game, was uh, was a really good performance. I think you know, a lot of things came together. I thought Gase put together his best game plan of the season. Uh, it was probably the, the only time I, le- I left a game this year saying, Adam Gase put together a really good game plan. Uh, the defense came to play. Greg Williams did a great job on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, defense played with a lot of energy. Sam Darnold kind of cut out the dumb mistakes that we've seen. We saw one of them a few weeks ago against the Dolphins. And the thing with Darnold is it, it, the mistakes he makes are not – and I, I probably said this to you the last time we, we did a preview show. It, the mistakes he makes are just like so mind-boggling where it's not like he's 
misreading a coverage where it's, it's just a situation where he just needs to know that the play is not going to work and he needs to throw the ball away. And he kind of got a little smarter and started throwing the ball away in those situations. And, you know, I, I've, I've kind of said on my show that the Darnold interceptions, as bad as they are, don't bother me as much as like they would otherwise, just because I feel like the easiest thing in the world to do is to teach a guy, just throw the ball away if it's not there. And I think he's, he kind of learned how to do that over the, over the last month or so. Yeah, he's certainly got a long way to go in his career. What is he, 22, 23 years old? And and that's kind of the point where quarterbacks tend to mature and get to that point in their career. So I would say the book is definitely still open on Sam Darnold. And you mentioned that mistake in the Miami game. That was kind of a turning point in that game. And we're going to come back on the other side of this podcast here and talk more about the Jets, Le'Veon Bell. We're going to get John's score prediction for the game. And speaking of score predictions, if you're the type of fan that knows football so well that you could call any game correctly... Well, MyBookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, the start of college hoops, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout like Josh Shaw. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to MyBookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just enter promo code Locked On. that's all caps, one word, to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code Locked On To take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer, visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. He is John Butchko of Locked On Jets, and he is here with us to finish out this crossover Wednesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And John, we talked about Gase and the offensive line, but what about the Jets' prize free agent of the offseason? Where is this disconnect coming between Bell and the Jets, Le'Veon Bell, I should say, and the Jets? And are they actually going to move on from him this offseason? Well, you know, the disconnect started when they signed him and, you know, I don't want to, I don't need to take you guys through the all, the drama that was yeah. the Jets off season, but there was a lot of, there was a huge disconnect between the head coach and the general manager at the time, Mike McCagnan, which of course eventually led the Jets to fire McCagnan, which I think was the, I think he should have been fired at the end of last season just because the track record was so bad and make the bizarre move of pretty much handing the reins of the franchise over to Adam Gase, which you can explain that one to me if you can, <laughs> if you can figure that one out. You can let me know. But, you know, one of the reported areas of disagreement was that McCagnan wanted to sign Bell. Gase did not. And if you look at the way the Jets have used utilized Bell this year, and I guess I could use the, use the phrase, use the term utilize loosely, um, they're just – you can see why Gase didn't want him because I just don't think Gase understands how to use him. They very rarely put him out wide and take advantage of his route running skills – um, it's, it's, I, I just don't understand how you can have a weapon like this. Look at the way he was utilized in Pittsburgh and just go totally away from that. Um, you know, I think Gase does not, I, I understand why Gase does not view the running back position as a valuable commodity. That was the report that he didn't think you should invest that kind of money in a running back. If you're going to use running backs the way Adam Gase uses them, then I, that makes sense to me. But if you have a back like Le'Veon Bell, I don't understand why you utilize him the same way you would any other back. They're just not using him. They're not u- using a skill set. And part of the issue with the Jets is the offensive line. This, this line has a guy shuffling in and out all year to do, due to injury, and they're just not that good to begin with. So they can't really run block that effectively. I mean, there are some room. You know, there, there's talk about how 
maybe Bell's patient running style isn't the best fit for an offensive line this bad. Maybe you need a guy who's just going to go north-south and grind out yardage. Uh, so that plays into it, too. But you can tell he's getting frustrated. You know, there, there were a couple games prior to the last time the Jets met the Dolphins where he did not speak with the media after the game because he knew he was going to say something that would make a lot of noise about criticizing the coaching staff. And to his credit, he's been a pretty model citizen this year. He's kept a lot of things in-house. Um, but, I mean, if the Jets aren't going to use utilize his skills the way they were meant to be utilized, I think there is a chance they trade him this offseason if they can uh, because it's, it's not going to be easy because he's got a big contract. But, I mean, to use this player the way they're using him, it, it's really pointless to pay him the amount of money they're paying him. And I, I would be surprised if they don't try to get a draft pick for him because this is a coach who his three years in Miami, I mean, he had some really good running backs when it was Jay Ajayi before he had the knee issue and Damian Williams and Kenyon Drake. And he's just always found a way to not play the hot hand or get the right guy out there or just go with Arian Foster over all those guys who wound up retiring after Jay Ajayi's first 200-yard game that season. John, let's go ahead and put you up to the stress test here. Score prediction for the game. What are the Jets going to do to beat the Dolphins? And kind of how does the rest of their season play out? for you from here you know i i think you you and your listeners know i'm not like a jets homer because i did pick the dolphins to win the last time these teams met um i don't really have anything to base this on because i do think i think the dolphins right now are playing better than the jets i know they have the better coach i mean that's not even debatable right now as far as i'm concerned but i just think and i say this all the time when the jets win the first game against an afc east opponent it's tough to sweep a team you know no matter how shaky that team is so I think, you know, with the home crowd, I think the Jets f- somehow figure out a way Darnold plays effectively enough. The defense, uh, notwithstanding a poor performance against Cincinnati, has been playing well the last few weeks. I think they do enough. They've got a new corner playing Bless Austin, who was a rookie who's stepped in- into the lineup, had been a big upgrade over what they had. I think they do enough to slow down Miami. I, again, I don't feel great about this pick, but I think I'd go Jets 24, Dolphins 20, but uh, nothing would surprise me in this game. Look, I'm not going to be shocked if the Dolphins go out and win this game. Yeah, that's exactly how, It's going to be a close game, in my opinion. You mentioned that Adam Gase tends to come out with a good, or you said that he had a good game plan against the Raiders, and that's kind of who he was in Miami. Every once in a while, he'd have an awesome game plan, usually against the Patriots. I get the feeling that he saved it for this game at home against the Miami Dolphins. But nonetheless, he is John Butchko of Locked On Jets. John, I'm not sure if you want it, but good luck Sunday, and, and thanks for doing this, my friend. All right, Travis, you got it. And off he goes. We thank him again for joining us for this Crossover Wednesday edition, and I do apologize to you guys for the lack of energy. I am just dying out here. I'm going to go back to bed right now. We'll see if we have a podcast tomorrow. If I do, it'll be the preview show, and then Friday will be the mailbag, but if I don't feel up to it tomorrow, we'll push the preview show back to Friday and go from there. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. (laughs) 